This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. There's a great reset. There's a great riddle. There is a great game. We're going to talk about all of them here today on Viewpoint, and I'm glad that you've joined us. It's conversation, as always, with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. And we are told and largely unreported in the news that Russia has a geostrategic breakthrough in what is called the Great Game. Now, the Great Game is a term that historically goes back uh, into the 1700s in a battle between England or the British Empire and Russia for control over Central Asia and access into India and to the Indian Ocean. There is another great game that is also taking place and referred to as the great game, and that is the great game for control of oil and gas in our world. Both of them are referred to as the great game. Today we're going to see how they actually interconnect and why you and I need to know about this great game, because it has everything to do with connecting the world in fulfillment of biblical prophecy. And so, today we're going to delve into the deep here, because really talking about something as massive uh, as the geopolitical great game uh, is daunting, it really is, because very little is really known about it in customary historical circles. But if you were to go to Wikipedia, you know, the great free encyclopedia, and type in great game, oh, you would find that there's an awful lot to be known about the great game. Just because you and I weren't talked about it, told about it in our history classes doesn't mean it isn't a big deal. In fact, it's so big a deal that now it appears that Russia is in the process or actually has achieved what World Tribune has called Russia's geostrategic breakthrough in the great game. In other words, Russia appears to have finally won secure access to the warm waters of the Indian Ocean, the goal it has pursued vigorously since the 17th century The old great game may be over and the new one begun. And this decides the great game for control of key areas of the Eurasian heartland, including the Caucasus, Iran, and Central Asia, so that Russia could trade as a maritime power in the Indian Ocean. And what's significant is that the Russian-Ukrainian conflict helped stimulate the progress on this new trade link, partly because it helped to cement Iran's dependence on Russia. Those words right there, helping to cement Iran's dependence on Russia, are key. They are prophetic keys, because we find Russia and Iran, formerly known as Persia until 1934, 
are listed as two of the premier countries, the premier powers, that will, in the latter days, see it necessary to attack Israel to take a spoil. And so now they're even beginning to be linked even more so than they were in the past. Absolutely, Russia has prepared, actually built, Iran's first nuclear reactor, the Bashir reactor, and has been funding Iran's efforts to uh, move forward with nuclear power. That's in Russia's interest because Russia wants Iran. But Iran needs Russia. They need each other in order to achieve their respective efforts. And it's in that particular context, each needing the other, that we find the connection with the book that I wrote a few years ago called King of the Mountain, The Eternal Epic End-Time Battle. A lot of people, when they have read this book, uh, King of the Mountain, they said, how in the world could you possibly have known Ten years ago, what was going to be taking place? It's as if you actually painted the picture of what was going to take place. That book was copyrighted in 2013, exactly ten years ago. And as you read it, you will find that indeed it tells us and paints the picture not only of what is happening geopolitically today, but what is going to happen geopolitically tomorrow and in the tomorrows to come, until the fulfillment of the final, ultimate great game, not even referred to as a game, the battle for king of the mountain. The king of the mountain, because he who rules the temple mount, is deemed to rule the world, and that's where all of this goes. This moves inexorably toward the rulership of the world. In the and on the 37 acres, most precious real estate in the planet, totally without value because it is of such immense value. The leaders of the world know that the Temple Mount is both substantially and symbolically the place from which all power moves. Now... If you really understood that and believe that, then you can understand why the Bible tells us that Christ himself is going to rule and reign from the Temple Mount. It's called his holy hill. But the rest of the world calls it their holy hill. And so in Psalm 2, a great prophetic psalm, we find the question, why do the nations rage and the people imagine a vain and foolish thing? The kings of the earth or the leaders of the earth are conniving together uh, to take down Israel and uh, basically to facilitate their lordship over the planet from Jerusalem and from the Temple Mount. These great players in the great, the ultimate great a spiritual game, if you call it that, are directing their attention inexorably toward merging their efforts to become, that will somehow exalt one 
to be ultimate ruler of the world. Iran wants to rule the world in the name of Islam. The Ayatollahs have already declared that. They intend to rule the world from Jerusalem, not from Medina, and not from Iran, not from Tehran, but from Jerusalem. The Pope has also declared, the papacy has historically declared its intent to rule the world, not from the Vatican, not from Rome, but from Jerusalem and the Temple Mount. All of these great nations are moving that direction, including, dare we say, including the leaders of the new Western One World Order. That's their goal as well. In that context, then, we take a look at this new Russian geostrategic breakthrough in the great game. We'll be right back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. In all of this discussion, friends, concerning the matter of the great game that consumes the minds and the hearts and geopolitical aspirations, not only of geopoliticians, but petroleum experts, presidents and prime ministers at this unique moment in history, it is a matter, this this game is of such grand significance that mere Maneuvering on the ground and the machinations of business, while it may be unusual, is not the most significant thing. The great game, both geopolitically and in petroleum, is being played out on what you might call an international chessboard of supreme significance on many levels. And if it were not, it would not command the attention of the world's capitals, the financial moguls, and foreign ministers. It's a deadly, serious game, dramatic and profoundly dangerous as it plays out on the world stage. And it's perceived by presidents, prime ministers, and corporate giants as the ultimate game, a game to determine not only the provision of energy, but of world power. Indeed, the power to rule the world as king of the mountain. The mountain being the Temple Mount. Now, before we go further to explore what has been developing now and has taken about uh, four centuries in order to be achieved, now having been achieved by Russia, before we get into that in detail, I want to make the book available to you king of the mountain it is a twenty dollar book yours for fifteen dollars on our website saveus.org now remember this book was written actually copyrighted in 2013 it was written in 2012 copyrighted in 2013 10 years ago but it reads like 
you're inside the minds and the hearts of the leaders of our of the world today. And not only that, but it tells us what is going to happen and why in the years to come, however many years they are. Why were we able to do that? Because the Bible gives us significant direction in that regard. For instance, if you were to go to Psalm 2, you would find the question again, why do the heathen or the nations rage and the people imagine a vain and foolish things? The kings of the earth are setting themselves against the Lord and against his anointed, that is Israel, saying, let us tear their bands asunder. But the Bible responds from the heart of God saying, God is going to laugh at them. And he's going to have the nations in derision. In other words, they're going to get all confused. They're going to get all hyped up. They're going to be at each other's throats. It is going to be a very big situation. Who's going to win this game? Who's going to win this great game? And God says he's going to have them in derision. And here's the reason why. God says, notwithstanding all of their machinations, that is the machinations of the great powers of this earth, who are conniving together to achieve what nobody else has ever achieved, that is global government, world rulership, notwithstanding all of that, God says, I've set my king on my holy hill. When God speaks, he has spoken for all time. No matter what they do, no matter how successful they may appear to be in the great game, he wins. Now, we don't want to put it in such simplistic terms. What does it mean, he wins? It means that God has already decreed that his king will rule on his holy hill. Now, what is his holy hill? His holy hill is the Temple Mount. 37 of the most priceless real estate on the planet. 37 acres. The Temple Mount. God says, I've already decreed it. It doesn't matter what uh, Islam says about the Al-Aqsa Mosque. It doesn't say, it doesn't matter what anybody says about the great golden dome, Islamic dome, sitting there on the Temple Mount. God says, I have already decreed my king, that is his son, Yeshua, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, will sit on that his throne, and rule the world from the Temple Mount. But in the meantime, a counterfeit will attempt to do so. A counterfeit we know as the Antichrist will attempt to do so. And he will represent the final players in the great game. Or one particular group of the final players in the great game who believe that they have achieved, I think it will be the Western One World Order, the great global government that is in the process of being formed as we speak. 
the one called for by the World Economic Forum, the one called for by Klaus Schwab, who says you will own nothing and be happy about it. That's the one. And it will, out of that will come a counterfeit Christ figure deemed to be the savior of the world, the prince of peace, who will somehow bring about a uh, great settlement agreement there in the Middle East, and people, the Jewish people, will accede to it, and God calls it a covenant with death. All of that, you see, is in the Bible. But we don't, if we don't know what's in the Bible, and we don't know how to connect the dots that are in the Bible, then all it is is just discontinuous information. But that's not God's purpose. God's purpose is not to give us discontinuous information. It's to give us understanding and insight as to the whole picture from his viewpoint of what is going to transpire so that you and I are not taken unawares. So here on this program, day after day after day, called viewpoint, we say, Your viewpoint determines destiny. If we do not have a strictly biblical viewpoint of the events of our world, we will be deceived. You'll either be discouraged at the least, but deceived at the worst. And so we talk about these things and make the best attempt that we can in the few minutes that we have to connect these dots in a way that the average person, you and I, can understand. So that we will prepare our minds and our hearts and that of our children and grandchildren to be able to stand in the evil day as these great games play out. Am I? Do I have your attention yet? So the first book, King of the Mountain, set the stage. $15 on our website, saveus.org. You can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. You're writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Now, the other book that you might want to connect with this that follows after it is called Antichrist. That will help to set the, complete the trajectory at least through the counterfeit Christ figure. So you'll be able to see the bigger picture as it moves. First with King of the Mountain, then with Antichrist, and then following up with my last book called Messiah. They follow kind of in a sequence, each uh, not duplicating, but reinforcing the other so that we can all capture the bigger picture and be prepared. We won't be ignorant. We should not be ignorant. The Apostle Paul said uh, to uh, the churches there that he spoke to, he said, look, You should not be ignorant of these things. He spoke to the church at Thessalonica that way. These things should not take you unawares. Why? Because God's revealed them. So why is it we don't know about these things? 
because we're not taught. We're just not taught. We're, we're, we're taught to prepare for lives of prosperity and sweetness and niceness, and everything's wonderful and everything's cool as the American dream continues on, but we're not taught to be able to stand in the evil day. To me, that is a great shortcoming at best and possibly spiritual abuse at worst. All right, so Antichrist, then, is $22. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. And, again, you can get that uh, by going to the website or call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA or write to us. Now, when you're doing that, if you get both of the books at the same time, then instead of $5 per each book for postage and handling, it'll just be $7 for the two books, so you'll save $3 that way. Okay, now I don't want to keep promoting the books. I want to talk about the issue. So, we're talking about uh, the latest report coming from World Tribune today. Russia's geostrategic breakthrough in the great game. Russia appears to have finally won secure access to the warm waters of the Indian Ocean. A goal it has pursued vigorously for 400 or 300 years. So, what does it mean? What is the significance? Well, here in distilled fashion is the significance historically. This great game, the geopolitical game, not talking about specific uh, petroleum and gas, that's an aspect of the new great game. But this historic great game was a rivalry between 19th century British and Russian empires, that is in the 1800s, over influence in Asia, primarily in Afghanistan, Persia, and later Tibet. The two colonial empires used military interventions and diplomatic negotiations to acquire and redefine territories in Central and South Asia. So Russia conquered Turkestan, and Britain expanded and set the borders of British colonial India. So by the early 20th century, that is in the 1900s, a line of independent states, tribes, and monarchies over the shore, from the shore of the Caspian Sea to the eastern Himalayas were made into protectorates and territories of the two empires. So, why was this so important? Well, it was important because these visionaries of these empires, the Russian Empire and the British Empire, knew that they needed to have some way of expanding to the Indian Ocean. Britain feared Russia's southward expansion would threaten India, while Russia feared the expansion of British interests into Central Asia. So as a result, Britain made it a high priority to protect all approaches to India, while Russia continued its military conquest of Central Asia. So aware of the importance of India to the British, Russian efforts in the region often had the aim of extorting concessions from them in Europe. 
But after 1801, they had no serious intention of directly attacking India. So, without getting into the weeds too far, the historical details too far, the great game seemed to come to a close between 1895 and 1907. In September of 1895, London and St. Petersburg signed a Boundary Commission protocol when the border between Afghanistan and the Russian Empire was defined using diplomatic methods. In August of 1907, the Anglo-Russian Convention created an alliance between Britain and Russia and formally delineated control in Afghanistan, Persia, and Tibet. Ah, that's now over. And Russia wins. And what's the significance? We'll be right back. This is Viewpoint. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. Saveus.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at saveus.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. Today we're making an attempt uh, to distill uh, some historic facts, history concerning Russia and Britain and uh, India and Central Asia and a battle that has been going on strategically for about almost 300 years now. Who is going to win the battle of the great game for access to Central Asia, control of Central Asia, and India, and access, trade access to the Indian Ocean, which is a warm water area? That's what Russia wanted, a warm water port. Not the cold water ports in the north, but a warm water port. Now, let me indicate to you that this is a bigger deal than you might think. The United States has been involved up to its eyeballs, somewhat secondarily in this great game. You would think that the United States would have been the primary force, but it was not. The United States tried to get in and upset this great game between Russia and Britain. Remember, the countries that were involved were India, 
but Afghanistan and the Caspian Sea were the access points for Russia to India. Britain gained control of India. It was part of the British Empire. It is not anymore. So Russia sees its opportunity to seize the moment and to gain that which it could not gain earlier, and through various kinds of geopolitical negotiations, have now achieved what they have long sought to accomplish, and that is to win the great game, the geostrategic breakthrough in the great game, to secure access to the warm waters of the Indian Ocean. Now, where does that leave us right now? Well, let me tell you what happened. If you think back to our days in Afghanistan, you know we were in Afghanistan for 20 years? Do you know why we were in Afghanistan? I'll bet you don't. In fact, I don't think most of our politicians know. I not I don't think even the President of the United States knows why we're in Afghanistan. So I'm going to tell you why. It was revealed by testimony given before Congress many years ago by one of our major oil companies. The leaders of that oil company appeared before Congress, and I'm going to give you a summary of what they said. We must secure access for our pipelines through the Caspian Sea and through Afghanistan to the Indian Ocean. But the Taliban are standing in the way. And we cannot do this unless we curtail the Taliban. Well, what country did the Taliban control? Afghanistan. What country did the Taliban control today? With the withdrawal of America's troops by Joseph Biden in a notorious withdrawal of American troops that jeopardized so many and caused so many deaths and others left there to fight for themselves in Afghanistan. What was it? It was about oil. It was about America's oil companies being able to secure free transit of American oil through their oil companies. I believe it was Unical, whose uh, leaders testified before Congress. Somewhere in my files, I have the document of that testimony. That's the reason we were in Afghanistan. It was to control and defeat the Taliban so that American oil could be transported down through the Caspian Sea to uh, through Afghanistan and then on down to the Indian Ocean. But we gave it all up. We pulled out of Afghanistan. The Taliban has now taken over. 
They have no love affair for Americans. And so we gave up the very thing that supposedly we were there for. And now Russia has seized the moment and gained that control. The great game in Asia, this comes from the Russian Times today, the great game in Asia, a new struggle between China, the U.S., and India is unfolding in, who would ever believe it, Nepal. Washington is bending over backwards to lure the newly formed communist coalition government of Nepal, which came to power at the end of December, away from its two biggest neighbors, India and China. Both nations are locked in a great game over the tiny Himalayan nation, which has become collateral in this diplomatic game of football, where the U.S. is trying to make inroads as a third power. And U.S. officials are scrambling. But we already gave up that access through Afghanistan. Now we're trying to hustle to try to regain some leverage, some ability to keep Russia from having its absolute control over access, trade access, and yes, oil access to the Indian Ocean and all the other trade that goes with it. And so Nepal went communist. Guess who they're most closely aligned with? Russia. This is a big battle, friends. Now, Nepal and Kathmandu are the places that you hear about when you hear about uh, these various adventures to climb Mount Everest. Well, this is the geopolitical Mount Everest. This is the big kahuna, so to speak. This is the great game. Why is it so great? Because Russia, up till now, has had no access to the Indian Ocean for trade, for oil, and it's a major, one of the world's major oil and gas producers. With the United States now having constricted Russian oil and gas in Western, the Western world because of Ukraine, Russia is now seizing the moment to advance its greater agenda through the great game. Interestingly, this article also came last month, well, actually this month, on the 15th, from the Russian Times, the headline, Germany names biggest threat to peace and security. Really? Russia has been declared the biggest security threat in a top German strategic policy paper. Germany's first-ever national security strategy describes Moscow as a force threatening both regional and global order while stating that NATO is always ready to defend its allies. Moscow's military campaign in Ukraine, which the document repeatedly terms a war of aggression, is described as a breach of international law and the European security order. 
So Berlin accuses Russia of carrying out an imperialist policy and seeking to establish a sphere of influence on the continent. Friends, it's not just a sphere of influence on the continent. Russia is part of Europe, believe it or not. Russia is a European nation. Yes, because of its size, it is uh, sort of like the odd man out in a way, but it is European. But Russia has much bigger ideas. Always has. Russia was one of the great empires of the world. And Vladimir Putin envisions that again. It is necessary then for Russia to gain dominion of trade routes and oil and gas routes to the warm waters of the Indian Ocean for massive world distribution. And that spells money. And money is power. So now, there are two great games that are merging. One is the great geopolitical game that's been in the process of being waged for 300 years between Russia and Britain primarily. That has largely been won now by Russia. The other is the great geopolitical petroleum and gas game. We have an entire chapter on that in my book, King of the Mountain. When you read it, you will be gripped by the statements that are there, what is really happening, why it is happening, And there's a reason why it is happening. And I believe that it has everything to do with the prophecy of Ezekiel 38 and 39. So a global showdown is in the works. The world right now is at the historical crossroads of the 21st century. The haunting specter of a major war hangs over the Middle East, Russia and Iran. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. The great game for oil and gas is underway. In fact, it was underway 12 years ago when I wrote the book King of the Mountain. 
In fact, Newsweek, 20 years earlier, had reported the game gets serious. They said the great game is underway. The Economist magazine graphically described it on its cover as a game of blood and oil. So the great game is a term that originates from the struggle between Britain and Tsarist Russia to control a vast geographical area that not only included Tibet, but the Indian subcontinent and Central Asia, but also the Caucasus and Iran. The term was immortalized by the 1901 publishing of Rudyard Kipling's novel, Kim. A contemporary version of the great game is being played out once again for the control of roughly the same geographical stretch, but with many more players and greater intensity. In fact, the great game now has taken on new dimensions and has entered the Mediterranean. So this contest has been playing itself out violently with intentional and dangerous rivalries. Those are words from one paragraph of my book, King of the Mountain, the chapter of the Great Game. But now I want to continue. In order to understand the immense prophetic gravity of this Great Game, we must make our way to Israel. The epicenter of end-time prophecy is played out on the rapidly increasing yet closing pages of history. For the overwhelming support from the United States Congress, Israel, but for the overwhelming support of the United States Congress, Israel is nearing complete isolation in a world frantically playing the great game for hegemony of the world's energy supply. What does that mean, friends? What are the prophetic implications of Israel being increasingly held hostage to world powers over a barrel of oil? And the answers to those questions are now setting the course of world destiny, whether or not foreseen by famous pundits and politicians, either Republican, Democrat, or otherwise. So, all of this ultimately relates to Israel. That's why we're talking about it. You say, well, why don't you just get there from the beginning? No, you have to lay the foundation so that you understand the context of what is developing. This is not something brand new. This is something that's been going on historically that is now coming to its fulfillment. So, Israel bids to end global oil dependency by 2020 came a headline in September of 2010, has it happened yet? No. Another headline in June of 2011, Israel's coast may be a gold mine of oil. Has it happened yet? Has it been realized yet? No. Will it happen? I believe that it will. In September of 2010, another headline, Oil Reserves Found in Israel Could Change Power Structure in the Region. Have they been able to access 
oil in Israel yet? No. Have they been able to access gas? Yes. Surprisingly, shockingly, about 10 years ago. Then came this headline in September of 2011. Erdogan drives toward armed clash with Israel, oil and gas at stake. Erdogan was counting on President Barack Obama backing in a military clash with Israel. Why was he counting on Barack Obama? Because he knew Barack Obama hated Israel. No matter what he said. Then, also in December of 2010, another headline. Putin eyes Lebanon's energy sources. Where is Lebanon? Just on the northern boundary of Israel. All of these are revealing the reality that the real focus of these great games has to do with control of the Middle East and ultimately Israel. So is it it a pipe dream or a prophetic drama? I believe that it's a prophetic drama. I really do. Can I say, thus saith the Lord, Israel will develop oil and therefore it will precipitate the fulfillment of Ezekiel 38, 39? I can't say that. Neither can you. But what I can say is that all of the direction of history is pointing that direction, coupled with the prophecy of Ezekiel 38 and 39 that sets forth the premier nation states that are involved in a collective secret attack upon Israel in the latter days to take a spoil when Israel is in relative peace. You can read about it, Ezekiel chapter 38. You can also read what happens when they make that attack on Israel. God, the Lord of nations, who said Israel was the apple of his eye, is not going to take it lightly. In fact, if you read Ezekiel 39, you will find that you have never, ever seen hail like what is going to fall on five-sixths of the collective army of Persia, Iran, that is, Russia, Turkey, Libya, Gomer, and other nations with them. Five-sixths of their army will be destroyed. Massive hail is going to fall upon them. God is going to teach them a lesson. Don't mess with the apple of my eye. Some people will say, well, that's the battle of Armageddon. I disagree. Can I say for absolute certain? No. But here's why I disagree. Because the Bible tells us in Ezekiel 39 that so great is the carnage of God's victory over the five-sixths of that army that attacks Israel to take a spoil, 
that Israel will take seven months with dedicated people out searching for bodies to bury them, and Israel will take seven years to use the weapons of war as fuel for their nation. Does that sound like the Battle of Armageddon that wiped everything out? No, I don't think so. Seven years, Israel will be using the meltdown of all of that weaponry for its own economy. Now, things are changing rapidly. The tendency of human beings, including Christians and their pastors and parachurch leaders and so on, is to look at the way things are at any given moment and say, that can't happen. For instance, people will say, how many times have I heard it said by pastors and other leaders, the, the idea that a temple would be rebuilt on the Temple Mount and that Israel would worship in that temple is ridiculous because it would start World War III. What difference does it make if it starts World War III? God says it's going to happen. How do we know that? Because in the book of Malachi, it says the Lord himself, that's Christ, will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord. And who's going to be able to abide the day of his coming? And who's going to be able to stand when he appears for he's going to be like a refiner's fire? That's not talking about when Jesus came the first time. That's talking about when he comes the second time to judge the earth in righteousness. And if there were not going to be a rebuilt temple then how is it the Apostle Paul could write concerning the counterfeit Christ figure, the Antichrist, who would ultimately walk into the temple on the Temple Mount like Antiochus Epiphanes did long before Christ came and would declare himself God and would desecrate the temple? If it didn't exist. You see, for some reason, people just rationalize with their human thinking and rationalization. Warning, never say never that something can happen that God said is going to happen. Never say never. Because if God has spoken, it is going to take place. So comfort yourself with those words. Agree with God. To disagree with God is to elevate your own viewpoint, your own thinking, your own own human reasoning, whether you be a pastor, a pope, a parachurch leader, or a president. Doesn't matter. You are not God. When God speaks, even the high mountains tremble, the Bible says. There was a wonderful song that incorporates that. It's time for us to begin to see things from God's perspective. Now, what I have shared with you is primarily informational here today. But there's a reason for it. 
The reason for it is not just so that you and I can be informed, because mere information does nothing for us, except to maybe make us proud. The reason for information is that it can be incorporated into our minds and hearts and thinking so that we will be transformed by the purpose for which the information is given, and that is, as Jesus said, we need to get ready for the second coming. We need to realize it's coming. And it's not just some pie in the sky and the sweet by and by experience. It's going to be a big deal. It's going to be a much bigger deal than most people expect. When God showed up before Israel at Mount Sinai, it was a terrifying experience for Israel. They said, don't let God speak to us. You talk to him, Moses. This is too scary. Well, if they thought that was too scary then, the book of Hebrews chapter 12 says it's going to be a hundred times more scary when Christ comes back. For if he once shook the mountain on earth, when he comes back, he's going to shake the heavens also. You want to find out what an awesome God is like? Just wait till Christ returns. In other words, people, it's time to get ready. It's time to repent. It's time to go before God with an open and serious heart and mind and say, Lord, am I really pleasing you? Is my life really pleasing you? Am I in agreement with your word, your will, and your ways? Am I training my children, my grandchildren? Am I, as a pastor, am I doing what I really should be doing? Am I taking this seriously? Or am I just playing a great game with my people to please them for the moment? Are we listening yet? Thanks for listening today. I hope it's been helpful. Get a copy of the book, King of the Mountain. Copy of the book, Antichrist, both on our website, saveus.org. I think it'll be a blessing to you. God bless, be a blessing, and become a partner, friends. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home. 